not had the chance to meet, my name is Drew Ward. I'm on staff here. I oversee our student ministry and our missional community groups. And I'm really excited and blessed to be able to bring this sermon and this message to you guys. Something that I think we all think about, and if you look around at our society today, that we think about is this idea of identity and this discussion of identity, right? Who, who are we? And I think if you look in our cultural moment right now, that biggest question about identity comes around sexual identity. Um, but if we look around everyone we see in this room, that we all struggle with this idea. And so today, we're going to look at uh, a passage of scripture about identity, right? So, some people put their identity in money. Some people put it in, in family. Some people put it in status. We're all looking for something to define ourselves by. But as Christians, we put our identity in Christ. We understand that, that Christ has to be our identity, but we struggle with this sometimes. Not long ago, I was at an and the Anderson MC having a discussion about identity, right? What does it mean to be a new creation in Christ? What, 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 how do we identify ourselves? Someone brought up the point that we often say, I'm a sinner, right? We still define ourselves by our sinful state. And we need to confess our sins. We need to confess our guilt. But if we aren't careful, our admission of guilt can become an issue of identity. We can start to view ourselves back as we once were before Christ. We need to remember that our identity is no longer bound in our sinful state, but is bound in the grace of Jesus Christ. And so this, to this morning, we, we turn to a familiar passage in order to wrestle with this notion. If we are called children of God, what, what does that mean for us? What exactly does that entail? How should we live out this reality, this identity? What should our lives look like if we are children of God and our identity is in Christ? So we look to this letter that, that John wrote, and he wrote it to a church in crisis. He sought to encourage believers to abide in Christ and to stabilize a church that was encountering doctrinal division. There's a lot of division between if Christ was the Messiah, if he was the true king. And John, in this short book, uses the word abide over 40 times. And to John, abiding means knowing God's commandments, knowing his truth, and not only knowing them, but doing them, living them out every day of your life. And we see Jesus even describe what abiding means in John 15, verses 4 through 5. And it says this, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus describes abiding here as an action. And not only an action, but that the action is based on a relationship with him. We see that Christians are the branch. And Christ is divine, and we must abide in him. Not only do we see that abiding is an action, but we also see that abiding produces fruits, that there is a fruit when we abide. So with all of that in mind, let's read our passage this morning. We're going to read 1 John 2, verse 28 through 38. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, 
that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason the world does not know us is it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has neither seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. When you look at this text this morning, the the most important thing to take home is this. That abiding in Christ produces confidence, hope, and allows us to view ourselves rightly as children of God. So in this morning, in this text, we're going to look at the truth that John has for us. And we're going to break it down into three different commands. That actions that we need to do because of the truths in this text. So John here is not only encouraging his audience to listen, but also to take action. And you and I are ought to do the same. So we see our first thing to do is to abide in Christ. And the first two verses is what John starts out with. So let's look at the beginning of our text. And the thing that strikes me the most that I, that I want to look at is do you see the genuine love that John has for his church? Look at how you refers to them. Three different times in this passage. My children, beloved, little children. And we see this time and time again in the whole letter of First John. He loves these people dearly. He gives them a command. And he says, abide in Christ. John tells them to abide. But why? What, what reason does he give? Why should we be so concerned with abiding. Look in the text, look back. He says that the reason we need to abide is so that when Christ appears, we may have confidence in his coming. Isn't that so wonderful that we can have confidence when Christ returns because we abide in him? But that's not the only reason that John gives us. Look back in in the text and we see another reason for abiding is to know that Christ is righteous. Whoever practices righteousness is born of him. And we get to see that, right? We get to see that Christ is righteous. And whoever practices righteousness is abiding in Christ and has been born of him. John here is pinning these verses to show the church, to show people that those who abide in Christ are different. That there is a tangible way that someone who abides in Christ lives their life from someone who does not abide in Christ. Um, And so that's what we're going to look at. And throughout the entire Bible... There are stories of people who show great confidence, right? We're reading about this great confidence that we can have when, when Christ returns. Throughout the Bible, there are stories of people who have great confidence. And one of them, the most popular, is a man named Daniel. And Daniel was taken captive when he was a boy by the Babylonians. And, and in this story, the king makes this decree, makes it law, to where no one can pray to any other gods except for him. And Daniel knows who his real king is, and he says, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to continue, continue to pray to the Lord. And he prays to God, and when the king finds out, the king sends him into the lion's den. 
and he seals the door and he says, I'll come back in the morning. Um, and when he comes back, we see that Daniel has no scratches on him, that he is completely fine. And, and the, the greatest thing about this passage to me, it strikes me, is how confident Daniel was to enter that lion's den. How confident he was to continue to pray the Lord, to seek the Lord, even when everything around him was telling him not to. And we see that Daniel was abiding in the Lord, and he knew the confidence that the Lord had given. He had this confidence and this hope in God. I'm going to ask you, do you have that confidence in the Lord? Most of us have, have heard this word, abide. We use it in our vocabulary, and sometimes we even use it when we're describing our time with the Lord. Oh, I, I was with the Lord this morning. I was, I was abiding in Him. However, most of us don't actually know what, what that means or what the fruit of abiding looks like. But John is, is telling us here this, this beautiful truth that when we abide in Christ, we have fruit, and that fruit is confidence. That we have confidence in life and death. Our eternity is secure. That this world will end. Right? Everything will pass away. Everything that we hope in right now on this earth will pass away. But as Christians, we can be confident and know that for eternity we will be with God. And do you dwell on this truth? Do you think about how much hope that can give you? When your life gets hard, when you get news of sickness, of great sorrow, when your children disobey or if they get hurt, when you apply for a job or apply to go to school and you don't get it, what is your response? Are you confident in the Lord? Are you hoping in his victory and knowing that one day, even though everything is hard on this earth, that you can have confidence that Christ's rule and reign? And what does it look like for you to abide in Christ? How can your calendar be centered around Christ? Take a look at this week. What is on your agenda? What is on your calendar? Is there time every day to be in the Word? Is there time every day to be in prayer? What, what are you putting on your calendar to show that that matters to you? When you're on your way to work, do you just turn on the radio? Or are you being intentional about reading or listening to God's Word, praying to the Lord, abiding in Him? When you're walking to class, are you listening to music? Are you listening to a podcast? I would encourage you, again, Put on the words of God. Listen to his scripture time again. Pray to him. Write, write out on your hand prayers that you can pray as you're, you're walking to class. And your conversations with your family, what does that look like? Your spouse, your kids. Are you, are you going deeper? Are you showing them that, yes, life is hard. There are struggles and hardships that we face, but we have a confidence in Christ that surpasses all of that. With your friends, are you having conversations that are vulnerable? Are you praying for one another? Are you pointing each other to this hope and this confidence that we have? I want to ask those of you who are not Christians to think about this. That what is your confidence in this life? Again, this world one day will pass away and everything that you hold near and dear will fade. And what is your hope then? What is your confidence then? So I just pray and encourage you to seek the love and the hope of Christ and see that abiding in Christ brings us confidence not only in the future, but also changes us on earth. And take a look at our next section of text, and we're going to see the command that John gives us here, which is to behold God as good Father. In verses 1 through 3 in this passage, in this chapter, some of my favorite in the entire Bible. 
And they are because we get to understand and see who we are in Christ, that our identity is being a child of God. And John writes, see what kind of love, see this great love, this wonderful love that God has so freely given to us. And I ask you, do you ever find yourself amazed at God's love? Do you ever think about and dwell on God's love? When we sing the song Amazing Grace, I'm sure most of you have sung it probably a hundred times. Do you dwell on that, that God's grace is amazing? Are you amazed by it? And this love is great. Why? Because believers, you and I, in the church, we're all children of God. We get to become children of God. And that is so wonderful because we get to share in the inheritance of the kingdom of heaven. We get a joy that lasts for eternity. And I pray that this verse will pierce your heart and show you how great God is. Show you that our Heavenly Father has done a lot to show us his love. All right, think about all the ways that God has shown us his love. He's given us his word in the Bible. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us one another to be in community with. And he even sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. But John doesn't focus on any of that. He focuses on the fact that we are all children of God. And that is the way that John is saying, look at God's love. That we are children of him. That our father is so good and gracious to us. The identity of being a child of God is vastly important. We must not overlook that truth. That the truth is God is our heavenly father and we are his children. How often do you think about this? How often do you relate to God as father? In a tweet from 2015, Timothy Keller says this, the only person who dare wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. And what he's getting at here is we serve the king of kings and the lords of lords. Someone who most of us may say, well, I, you know, I don't want to bother, I don't want to bother God. But he's saying no. When we know that God is our father, our heavenly father, we can approach him like a child and ask him for anything at any time. That we, that God delights in those things, in those askings. And John continues on in the next two verses and he describes our relationship with the world and our relationship with Christ. He says, the world did not know Christ. The world mocked him. They persecuted him. They arrested him. And they eventually crucified him. And in the same way, the world doesn't know you or me. But John gives encouragement here. He says, as children of God, we have hope that one day we will be like Christ. That when he comes back in his full glory, we will be like him. We'll be pure, just as he is pure. We see here that abiding in Christ doesn't mean that we are his children, but abiding in Christ is what we do when we realize we are his children. When we see our identity rightfully so, we abide in him. We cannot abide in Christ without understanding sonship and how God in Christ has adopted us as his own. The, this theme of adoption is vastly important to understanding the way that God the Father views us. And John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, one of the most famous evangelical Christians of his time, was viewed as a man who was 
so on fire for the Lord, passionate for the Lord, changed, and, and Amazing Grace was the hymn, his testimony. However, most people don't know him as a father. He was a wonderful and tremendous father. And the story is that him and his wife, Polly, adopted their five-year-old niece, Betsy. Both of her parents passed away, and John developed a great love for her. He sent her to the best school. He wrote her letters all the time, oftentimes lamenting the fact that she wouldn't write back enough. I'm sure some of you parents may have experienced that, of uh, just wanting your, your kids to text you back or call you or whatever it may be. But John develops this deep, deep love for his daughter. And unfortunately, one day, Betsy wakes up, and she has a mental breakdown. She was sent to an insane asylum, and then transferred to another one, and they didn't allow visitors. And so John's heart was broken, but in his love for her, he decided he was going to walk every day to that building and wave. Wave to her, see her, and he did this until he could not, until she was finally out. His body was decaying for so long that he started to become blind. And so he'd have a friend come with him, and he would say, lead me. And he'd wave, and he'd go, is she waving back? And I want you to see the love that he has to have to do that. While his body is decaying away, he still is going and waving and seeing his daughter. In the same way that, that John viewed Betsy as, as her, his own daughter, not just someone who he adopted, but his own daughter, flesh and blood, Christ and God our Father views us that way too, but more fully. And I want you to see two ways that this text applies to our own hearts today. Again, identity is something that we all struggle with, something that I struggle with. And I have to confess more often than not to the Lord that I forget to live out my identity. That I can fall back and saying I, I am a sinner and rely on myself and feel the weight of my sin and the shame and let my day be defined by those things. However, we see that and the beauty of abiding in Christ and how wonderful it is to be God's child. Okay, would it be better if I grabbed the mic? Great. I was trying not to, but it's, it's pretty awful. Sorry about that. You can turn me down a little bit. Yes, so oftentimes I, I have to confess to the Lord myself that I can view myself back as, as, as I was before Christ. I can see that, Lord, like I'm defining myself as, as a sinner. But we see here how wonderful it is to abide in Christ and to be his child. I want you to think about what that means for you. How can you meditate on this truth? I, I encourage you to go home, to pray about it, to journal about it, and to think about it. We tend to focus on truths that are easy to understand, easy for us to grasp, easy for us to just apply right away. We don't like to wrestle with things that are hard, things that we don't quite get. And I now, and I understand that, that none of you have a perfect father on this earth, and some of you may really struggle with your father. But regardless of where you are and where you find yourself, know that God is all we could ever ask for a father. He is perfectly loving. He is always caring, and he is abundantly protective. 
And the love that we see Jesus show us, the love that we see God show Jesus throughout the whole gospels is the same love that he has for you and he has for me, that we are his beloved children. And if you're a Christian, let that sink in. Sink on on that truth that, that God loves you so deeply. And again, if you're not a Christian, I encourage you to think. Think about what it means to abide in the Lord. And once you believe in Jesus, once you follow him, you become a child. You are adopted into his family. And John also encourages the children of God, saying that this world did not know him, right? Did not know Christ. Now, thankfully, we live in a country that has freedom of religion and freedom of speech, right? We're meeting in a city building right now, owned by Cincinnati. And we are facing no persecution. We are facing no pushback. You know, they're excited that we're here. We get to praise God for that. However, regardless of what time period we live in or what country we inhabit, the world will always oppose Christians because the world opposed Christ. But we can have hope, right? Amidst this opposition, we can have hope because Christ will return and we'll be made like him when he does. And as children of God, we have hope that our bodies will be made new when we stand before the Lord on judgment day. That God will see us as pure and blameless, just like the lamb was when he died for our sins. And we can take confidence and know that the red blood of Christ flows upon us and makes us white as snow and that we are spotless before the Lord. Some of you may be thinking to yourselves that I, that I want that. Man, man, I feel like I don't have a family to belong to. And I would encourage you to accept and, and seek the adoption of our Father and seek the adoption into the family in the kingdom of God. Now, one day, we'll all have to give an account for our lives. Everyone in this room will have to give an account for how we lived our lives. And the only difference between those who are God's children and those who are not will be Christ. We can point to nothing that we did on this earth, but we can point to Christ and say, he did it all for me, and he has made me new. And that is the hope that John is giving us and his church as we look through those verses. So we come to our last section of our text today, the last few verses, and we're going to see another command to live as God's child. We're going to see John is describing the characteristics of someone who abides in Christ and someone who does not abide in Christ. John not only wants us to see the truth that abiding in Christ is necessary, that we gain this confidence, this hope, that we understand our identity, but also to abide in Christ means we must act like Christ did. So in these first few verses of this section, John lays out some characteristics of someone who abides in Christ. So let's look again at verse four and look to see what John has to say. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practice lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he who appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. We see that the one who does not abide in Christ makes a practice, a habit of sin, that their life is marked by things that are against God's word. They're against his word, his love, and his character. And John here defines someone who is sinning. He defines sin as disobeying and disregarding God's law. Someone who does not abide in Christ is characterized by a life of disobedience, a life that disregards what God says and listens rather to the wisdom of the world. Wisdom like, follow your heart. 
Go with your gut. Doesn't that sound so familiar? And at some point, this verse describes everyone in this room. That at, that at some point in our life, we could be described by, by verse 4. However, we see in Ephesians 2 that we are all born children of wrath. But thankfully for us, verse 5, John says that Christ came to take away our sins. That Christ's death on the cross takes away our sin purely because Jesus himself had no sin. That he himself was pure and righteous. A pastor named Mark Dever, and he pastors in Washington, D.C., puts it this way. Our obedience doesn't cause any of our disobedience to vanish. You see, only Jesus can take away our sin. We are helpless apart from Christ. He's saying, Mark Dever is saying here that we can't do enough good deeds to make our bad deeds disappear. We can't be obedient and follow the law and make all of our sins go away. Only Christ can do that. John is telling us the same thing here. And a few weeks ago, if most of us, if not all of us, celebrated verse 5, right? We celebrated Christmas, the appearing of Jesus, the birth of Jesus on this earth. And we get to praise God that he sent his son to die for our sins. We get to praise God that Jesus was born. We see in verse 6 that those who abide in Christ are people who do not keep on sinning. Now, I, I don't want you to think, well, now that I'm a Christian or, or, or Christians never sin, John isn't saying to stop sinning. But John is saying, for those who love God, for those who abide in his commandments, that they are changed. Right? They, we, they no longer have a sinful state, but a new spirit. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that the old has passed away, the new has come, that we are a new creation in Christ. Ezekiel tells us that it's like getting a new heart we had a heart of stone, but now we have a heart of flesh that God has given us. And we see that the life of someone who abides in Christ is different from those who practice lawlessness. Verse 5 shows us that Christ has no sin in himself. And if we abide in him, then our nature will be transformed to be more and more like his. That those who abide in Christ will desire God's law. The Holy Spirit will work in our hearts to transform us and to desire the things of the Lord and start to oppose the things of the world. John, we see, is telling us something that we see throughout the whole Bible, a theme that we see, that if someone is living in unrepentant, habitual sin, then they are not of God. They do not abide in God. They don't know God. And I know that sounds serious, but it is serious. John wants us to see the massive importance of how we live our life. Salvation is not earned, we all know that, but it's not opposed to effort. We have to live according to God's law. A Christian cannot live in a state of habitual sin. The state of living in sin is temporary. And that means someone who abides in Christ, they seek accountability for their sin. Right? They seek confession, they seek reconciliation. They're remorseful for their sin. They, they bring things into the light, they repent of their sin. And so the question to ask ourselves today is not do you sin, because we all sin. But rather, how do you respond when you sin? What marks your response? Do you give in to the pattern of sin and let it rule your life? Or do you confess it? Do you feel remorseful? Do you bring it to Christ and go to battle against the sin? The way you respond to sin in your life is an indication of where you abide and what you practice. 
John says those who keep on sinning have not seen Christ for who he is. They do not know Christ. Do you know Christ? Have you seen his goodness and his mercy towards you? Let this passage be a comfort and challenge to you. See the goodness of abiding in Christ. See the hopes and the promises that this passage has given us so far to trust in Christ. Get to know Jesus and you'll become like him. In verses 7 and 8, John continues differentiating between a child of God and being born of the devil. There's two truths that you are a child of God or you're born of the devil. And John explains that practicing righteousness, it is a clear characteristic of someone who is born of God, who's a child of God. And righteousness is a word that we can use a lot in the church, right? It's It's a Christian buzzword. We may not fully grasp what it means. And simply put, righteousness is just a right standing before God, right? For someone to be righteous is to be in a right standing before God, and righteousness is doing godly things. And John is saying here that someone who abides in Christ does godly or Christ-like things. You can see that it's a fruit of their abiding in Christ. And John is not saying that one must do good deeds or righteous deeds to be saved. He's rather saying a saved person will do righteous things. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way, the grace that does not change my life will not change my soul. Those who are saved by Christ are changed by him and their lives are marked by that, right? A a changed life is represented by an outward action and expression. In the same way, if I were to say to you, man, I love the Bengals, right? I love Joe Burrow. I think he's the best quarterback in the NFL. What would you expect of me? You'd expect me to watch the Bengals. You'd expect me to wear a Joe Burrow jersey, to talk about the Bengals, to know what's going on. And if you know me, you know those things are true. <laughs> that every Saturday, Sunday, I wear my Joe Burrow jersey to set up. Um, oftentimes, Sydney will say, Drew, it's day four of you wearing that jersey. Let's not wear it today. And you also would know that I have a Joe Burrow mug, coffee mug that I drink out of most mornings now. And I just got Joe Burrow socks for Christmas. And these things, they show what my heart desires, right? They, they show these, they're outward expressions of what I like. And John is saying the same thing, that if someone confesses the name of Christ, if they say, I love Christ, I am a Christian, then that change, that belief will be represented outwardly by actions. And so ask yourself, your coworkers know that you're a Christian, right? Do you treat your your family with the love that Christ has treated you. If people were to follow you around for a day, would they know that you are a Christian? One of the greatest indications of what your heart believes is what your hands are doing. If you want to know what you care about, you want to know what you believe, then listen to what you say. Watch what you do. The Bible teaches us that what comes out of the mouth is the abundance of the heart. And John is hammering that home to his audience and to us. And he continues this thought in verse 8. He gives us another characteristic of someone that does not abide in Christ. And he says that they are born of the devil. Those who are in habitual sin and deny the Lord are are of the devil. And this seems harsh, right? This This is a hard truth. That's something that is important for us and important for John to put in this letter. That there are two truths, that we are either born of Christ or we are born of the devil. But these, this, this harsh truth is a saving truth. 
that we have to recognize where we are in order to have new life in Christ. And there's no in-between. There's no in-between of, I'm, I'm working to be a Christian, or I, you know, I'm doing X, Y, and Z. The only thing that, that matters to be a child of God is confessing faith in Christ. I think there, there's a lot of people, maybe, maybe you're thinking about, man, I don't know about this whole Christianity thing, or what does that mean for me? And I would just encourage you to see the goodness of this passage, see the truth of the scripture, and trust in Christ. So as we come to a close, we see one more final truth, this beautiful truth. And that truth is that, that verse 8 doesn't end there, right? Verse 8 ends with this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. We see that the newness of life can be found in Christ, that he came and he was victorious over death and Satan. And we see the abundance hope that Christ provides, that that someone who used to be born of the devil, and we know that in Ephesians 2 says that we all were, that we get new life in Christ, that we get this adoption into sonship, into the inheritance of heaven that is so wonderful that John says, see this kind of love, that Christ came and he saved us. So I want, I want to ask you, where do you consider yourself to be? Do you consider yourself a Christian? Do you follow Christ's commandment? Is your life marked by righteousness and repentance from sin? Then take hope. Let this passage shape how you view the Lord. I, I pray that you would see the Lord as your good Father, your heavenly Father who is gracious to you. And if, and if you think Jesus isn't truth, truly worth following, you haven't made Jesus your Savior, then I pray that this passage helps you to see the goodness of following Christ. See the goodness and the hope and the confidence that we can have when we follow and abide in Christ. That new life is found in him and that by abiding in him, you're able to experience having a loving father, experience great hope and confidence for eternal life. Let's pray.